welcome to the official podcast for the Irish Association of Speech and Language Therapists, the IASLT in Conversation. I am Claire Meskel, member of the Media Committee. In recognition of Brain Awareness Week, which falls in March, Gary Boyle is featuring on the IASLT in Conversation. Gary is here to tell us his journey to date living with Parkinson's. Welcome, Gary, and thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much, Claire. Thank you for having me. More than welcome. So, Gary, for those listening, would you like to give a brief introduction to yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Gary Boyle. I live in Dublin, in Clonsilla, West Dublin. I'm married to Joan, who's a uh, speech and language therapist. And also, we have two kids. They're kind of growing up now. Uh, Dara's 27 and Brown is 21. Um, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's on the 2nd of September 2009, about half nine in the morning. And it was something that changed my life utterly in one go. Um, I was not prepared for it. I was on my own. It came at the end of a, about a two-year investigation into why my hand was, my arm was kind of hanging limp by my side when I'd walk. Uh, and my right foot was dragging on the ground a lot. I mean, I just couldn't seem to control them very well. And things like um, brushing my teeth or kind of combing your hair or whatever, your hand froze, my hand froze and stopped at that time. So something was obviously amiss, but uh, when I went into the into my ex-consultant's uh, rooms that morning and he just said to me, like he, he took my hands and he twisted my arms and pushed them in and out and he said, ah oh, yeah, you have Parkinson's disease, but don't worry, it won't kill you. And I was just uh, shattered, <laughs> literally shattered in one go. And I kind of looked up at him and I said, um, hmm, I'm 44. I'm not 74. I couldn't have this. That's nothing. He said, I had a girl in here from Cork yesterday. She's 29. She has Parkinson's as well. So that was the kind of the way it was kind of delivered to me. Um, not very pleasant, but believe me, there's been a lot worse. And there continues to be a lot worse in terms of how the diagnosis is delivered. Um, my, my, my ex-consultant wrote out or typed out a, a prescription for me. And that's when I first realized that um, if I ever get my head around this, there's going to be a lot of things to kind of point out. Um, Parkinson's people usually have very fine motor kind of problems. Like mm -hmm. there's a test that you kind of tap your thumb and your index finger and do it as fast as you can. And with the Parkinson's person, you can do it for about three seconds and then everything freezes. And the, the prescription I got was for these pills that were like, you could barely see them. I mean, there were the tiniest pills that popped out of these blister packs and went all over the place. And you had to try and discreetly kind of, uh, you know, change your life and adapt. You had to take these things seven or eight times a day. It was absolutely brutal. You know, it was really, you know, talk about being totally unconnected with the needs of the patient. That was my first glimpse. But to be honest with you, Claire, I did nothing about it for the first five years. I was just so shattered. I mean, like I had... <laughs> I, I think I had a really good career at the time. We were just back from a couple of years in the US where, where we'd I'd done pretty well with the company I was with and they were looking for me to go back again and all that kind of stuff, you know. So things were, you don't think about, um, you know, life-changing events other than good ones um, yeah. when you're in your 40s. And uh, I was really shattered. And Joan and I just kind of sat there that afternoon kind of, cried her eyes out and said what the heck is going to happen now you know so I didn't I just did nothing about it I just took those flipping pills that were so tiny and I just kept going 
but eventually caught up with me because mm-hmm. although it was quite I was active enough, I'd go for a run every you know a couple of times a week. My my brother lives around that block from me, um. So I was kind of staying in touch with with fitness and stuff like that. I wasn't doing any, um, you know, occupation therapy or speech and language therapy or anything like that mm-hmm. because I didn't know and I didn't realize. I now realize something totally different, and I could talk about that in a few minutes. But I didn't know then that you know, um, a combined approach, a multidisciplinary approach, mm-hmm. is really essential and is really something that will, you know, get people through this. But the first thing you have to get through is the diagnosis. And there's no doubt, it's it's a horrible thing. It, it's like I'm not going to, I'm not going to kid anybody who's brand new to the Parkinson's world. You know, it is, it is very. It's an awful diagnosis, and mm-hmm. it's awful for two main reasons. We don't know where it comes from, and we don't have a cure, mm-hmm. and that's kind of hard to to take on, and particularly when you feel pretty normal. You know, you feel fine. You know, there's nothing like when we if we broke our arm or broke our leg, everybody'd say. Ah, oh, you've broken leg, you've broken arm, but my brain is broken. That's my problem, you know. And well, at least it proves I have a brain. But I mean, yeah. the other side of that is, I mean, part of it, a good chunk of it, isn't working properly, mm-hmm. and um, that's kind of serious. So I have to do something about that. So eventually, after five years or so, I was just, I was just presenting as somebody who was shuffling, mm-hmm. a lot of shuffling. I had really bad gait. Um, my balance was a bit off. Um, but I knew myself, like when I'd be, <laughs> um, if we were ever going for um, a night out and there was a bunch of us and we were going for an old dance in the in the nightclub afterwards. And I mean, uh, I'm not a fantastic dancer or anything like that, but uh, um, I couldn't, I could barely move. Like I'd go out on the dance floor and I'd try to raise my arms up and it was just too hard, you know? So I kind of, you know, that, that was, there were the signs telling me that, Gary, you got to do something you know, you're, you're living with this for five or six years, more probably because Parkinson's presents very slowly over time. Yeah. So um, I did, and I, I got, um, I told, finally told work. They were kind of um, horrible, but anyway, um, I got through that, and, and eventually my my real consultant um, signed me off um, for, you know, incapacity for work. Mm-hmm. And I moved on to a kind of an income protection plan, and that's what I've done since. And in doing that, I was presented with a lot more time because I wasn't at work anymore. Yeah. And I just felt that the thing I do best is kind of running and doing a bit of exercise. And I just went into that big time. But I also was very fortunate. I got, I got referred to two um, therapies, mm-hmm. occupational therapy and speech and language therapy. And speech and language therapy was first. And the first thing I did was... LSVT loud yes and LSVT loud transformed my life within a few short weeks it really did I mean it it told me everything I need to to know that if I really put effort into something it will change yeah and and that that was the most spectacular thing and Joan and parents have been saying to me for five years I was in denial Gary you know you need to deal with this and you need to speak up and I couldn't figure what the heck she meant about speaking up I mean I was speaking, you know, I mean, it was one of the things I could do, you know, and yeah. uh, it was, it was, but I learned very quickly. Um, I wasn't speaking loud enough for people to hear me. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really critically important for people living with Parkinson's. Hey, wow, Gary, that's, that's some story. And I suppose for listeners who might not be familiar with Parkinson's disease and 
why you would get speech therapy. You touched on briefly there that, you know, they often don't speak loud enough. For people who aren't familiar with this LSVT that you spoke of, how would you describe it? Like, what, what does it consist of? It's like a boot camp for your voice. Okay. And it's uh, a boot camp that turns your voice into something you can protect and strengthen. And the critical important thing about that is, like people may say, well, so what? Like, what's the big deal? The big deal is for people with a neurological condition, particularly Parkinson's, an engagement like this, like the conversation you and I are having or talking to somebody else or having a hobby and doing something that focuses your brain on something is really important. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a situation where, you know, you're in a pub, let's say, or a cafe or a restaurant and you're, you know, with friends and you're not, you don't realize that your, your voice isn't loud enough. People will keep saying, sorry, Gary, what did you say? I, I didn't hear that, Gary. Did you say it again? And like, both of you are going to get pissed off with kind of being in a situation where, well, I can't hear him. And, you know, he's not listening to me, you know, <laughs> and it becomes very stressful. And that's really bad. But if you can, if you realize, if you go through this training, um, you realize that your voice, you have to put effort into your voice to be heard. But the ben benefits are enormous. <laughs> you know, you stay in the game, you stay in the conversation, you, you connect with people. And that is so important. I mean, that is one thing I know slows down the deterioration effect of Parkinson's. When, you, when you're active, you're fit and healthy. Mm -hmm. When you're talking to people, engaging with people in conversation, that's really important. So LSVT Loud really, um, really shook me and made me cop on. And it, it still does, you know. I mean, I did, an, I did that course in 2015 and I'm attending every week I phone into a, uh, it's from the US, of course. Mm -hmm. I phone into the um, LSVT headquarters in, in Arizona and we do a practice session. A bunch of us from, like three or four of us from Zimbabwe, Britain, and I'm from Ireland and the rest are all from, from the US. And we, we have a great time for the hour just doing our practice, our loud practice and speaking in our loud voice. So mm -hmm. it's really important. And for listeners, Gary, so you spoke there that you tune in to somewhere in the US for LSVT initially. Was that something you could avail of from a speech and language therapist in Ireland? Unbelievably, yes, it was. I mean, like if it had nothing to do with Joan working in the HSE or anything, that it was just this course became available because HSE decided to try it out and see what it was, you know, mm -hmm. would it be useful? And I think that's the way things work in the HSE anyway. They, they do a few trial runs you know and mm -hmm. I was very lucky um yes I was lucky even though I had Parkinson's but I was very lucky that I managed to get uh, referred to um the, the first few kind of versions of the course that they were running mm -hmm. and um it was uh the speech and language therapist was Ruth Talbot who kind of sat down with me and we had a conversation and she just put a kind of voice level meter between us so mm -hmm. she had a conversation like you and I are having now, Claire. I mean, obviously, we were in the same room together. And I chatted away and spoke about lots of really important things. And it sounded really, you know, like I knew all what I was talking about. I hadn't a clue. But that, no, we were just having a normal conversation. And then, then at the end of it, Ruth, and Ruth was writing down scores or something like that. I, I mean, I found out afterwards there were scores, but she kept writing stuff, you know. And I thought, what the heck should I But anyway, I mean, after about 20 minutes, she stopped. She said, now, Gary, um, do you want to have a look at your, your scores? You know, what the, what the voice level meter was, was reading out for you. And she turned it over and said, you know, 
48, I suppose, 49, 50, 47. And I thought, that's not bad. That's pretty good, you know. That's fine. I think, you know, I have no idea, you know. Yeah. And she turned the page over and put, showed me her scores. 98, 96, 97, 98. And she was not shouting at me. Mm-hmm. She was just talking normally. Yeah. And I went, ah, I see a little problem here. <laughs> you know, I mean, It was obvious that I was talking at the rate that I thought everybody could hear me. Yeah. We were just in a room together, just the two of us having a normal conversation. And she was not shouting at me, but she was like, I suppose you could say it twice as loud, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that really shook me. And that really said to me, Gary, cop yourself on, you've got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And I would say the same, you know, if I was talking to a, an occupational therapist or a physiotherapist about LSVT big, you know, very, really a boot camp for exercise and stretching and stuff like that, that is really fantastic. But for LSVT loud, I was sold, absolutely sold. And uh, Joan was delighted because she didn't have to say to me anymore, speak up, you know, but um, yes. it was it was really important. And, and I really... I still, I don't do the exercises as often as I should, mm-hmm. but I do do them twice or three times a week. Yeah. Probably four times when you throw in the, the US kind of um, group. And then I run a group on a Thursday and we meet every Thursday at 11 a.m. And again, at 2 p.m. just so that everybody can get in and we do our practice together and it's great fun. Yeah. Wow. Wow, Gary. So it, it does sound as though the LSVT was nearly the, the start of your journey towards maybe acceptance and you know, getting involved with the various therapies, would that be right? That's a, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think you, yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was really something that told me, you know, I can't live like this. I, I can't go on. Like, I, I know, I really can't go on like this. I mean, let's just say that when we're kind of, you know, running a marathon or whatever, oh, I can't go on like this. But like, I mean, this is a bit of a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. It was it was something that told me I had to do something about what was going on. If I let it kind of go down, I'd be in serious trouble trying to get back up again. So I kind of have tried to maintain, tried to get to a level of fitness and try to maintain that at least. Mm-hmm. And then, like, and by fitness, I mean, including voice, including, yeah. including any activity like cycling, running, swimming, you name it, dancing. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, so there's lots, there's lots of things to kind of, keep you going and that's the, the problem I have with the diagnosis delivery we are really bad in Ireland really really bad in Ireland at delivering a diagnosis and by we I mean the consultants that I've dealt with mm-hmm. and that I've heard from from my buddies who, who live with Parkinson's as well and um, there's a it's, a it's a total focus on medication only yeah. now, medication is critically important we know that mm-hmm. but the effect of medication can be really uh, improved by, by being active and being, you know, being aware of being active and putting your practice into your voice exercises to keep your voice strong and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's not just medication, but unfortunately, it's still the case that when people are diagnosed, they get a prescription, you know? Yeah. And I think that's great to get a prescription, but it should be about three or four pages longer, not just the medication, then it should be, you know, you can do this, you can do that. We need to, you know, People are going to be shocked enough as it is getting a diagnosis of Parkinson's. And unfortunately, there are more and more people getting it because it is, you know, it's growing at a rapid rate. And that's really unfortunate. So we really need people to, we need to help them. You know, it's an awful shock. But like, I'd love to be there kind of to hang on to them and say, look, 
this is terrible. This is really terrible. But believe me, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. It's not game over. It really isn't. And you can do, there's a lot you can do, but you probably need to grieve first or you probably need to get angry or get mad or get it out of your system. But you can do it and you can you can beat this damn thing, you know? Yeah. And I suppose anyone listening with Parkinson's, Gary, what would maybe one piece of advice you would give them in terms of reaching out to get started with those therapies? I'd say reach out to anybody you've heard mm -hmm. who has Parkinson's already and has been living with Parkinson's for some time and get their opinion and, and see what they have to say about, you know, if they're doing any activities or if they're doing voice exercises because they've done LSVT loud or if they're doing, um, you know, if they're you know, doing extra stuff, extra over what they used to be, stuff like that, and how it's, how it's making them feel. You know, do they have kind of a situation where they're, you know, quite happy, if that's not the inappropriate word to say, mm -hmm. in, in terms of dealing with the life they've been given now through the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Um, there are lots of us who are, you know, doing that. We're, we're living our best life. We are working hard. It's kind of keeping the exercise going. Um, the motivation is there, but it's, some, it's not always easy to kind of keep going. There's a lot of inertia or kind of, you know, what's the point? Kind of just kind of creep in every now and then, but we're only human. So I would say to somebody who's newly diagnosed, um, I'm really sorry for your trouble. I'm really sorry you've got this awful diagnosis, but believe me, we can work together and we can help each other to kind of rise above this and control it in a way that, you know, it otherwise wouldn't have been controlled. And the treatment and the kind of the, um, the kind of the effect of treatment that has kind of happened in the last 20 or more years is really, it's really improving a lot. You know, so, I mean, the difference between di being diagnosed 30 years ago and kind of five years ago is really massive. And there are a lot more, um, Clearly, we're only treating the symptoms because we don't know what's the cause of the thing. But I'm fine with that. I mean, and I actually believe that I won't ever see a cure. Um, but I will see improved um, treatments for symptoms. And I think that'll be, that'll be really effective and really powerful. And I suppose for healthcare professionals in particular, maybe on the therapeutic side, have you anything you'd like them to know as they approach working with people with Parkinson's? Well, the first thing I want to say to all of them and all of you, especially, is thank you for what you're doing. I mean, you guys are changing people's lives and you're really saving people's lives. You're, you're doing stuff that is, you've no, you've no idea how, how, much, how much better I feel when I do a run or I do, I shout into the phone when we're doing our practice session on a Thursday morning uh, or I'm driving in the car where nobody can see me and it's, late at night and I can scream my head off doing my exercises. I mean, mm -hmm. I do that because I know it's going to make, make me be heard. And if I can be heard, I can be more normal and I can be involved in the conversation. And that's really good. So I'm so grateful to every healthcare professional. And I really mean this because the effect that you're having on my life and on so many other people's lives is wonderful. And to, to kind of, to go a little bit further, I would say, you know, try and get involved, try and get a Parkinson's group going, you know, if it's if it's physiotherapy or occupational therapy or speech and language therapy, you know, we've had a lot of difficulties with the pandemic over the last mm -hmm. couple of years, but um, 
Parkinson's support groups are so important. And if they're focused on a particular area, that's a really good way of starting them. You know, so, I mean, a physio may say in Dublin North, you know, I think it might start a Parkinson's group. And as soon as that group gets off the ground, I'm pretty certain other people will hear about it and they'll want to, to join it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found with, with the speech and language therapy group. Um, it was Quiva McDermott who took over from um, Ruth Talbot. And we used to kind of meet once a month in the Navan Road Clinic for two, two and a half hours. And we'd have a, a really good session doing our exercises together. There's about 20 or 25 of us in the room, you know, mm-hmm. and it was really good. And then we'd have a speaker come in who talked to us and Quiva would pick, you know, get somebody to come in. Um, I got a few people to come in. It was really wonderful and it was really feel good. And for some people, they, they used to say things like, this is the highlight of my month, you know? And the really important thing about that is people are happy and the, the right endorphins are being re- released in their brain and they're feeling better. So when the pandemic kind of hit and that kind of fell apart, um, that was a pity. But we're now back up on teletherapy. Mm-hmm. and we're doing it uh, once a month for an hour which is really good but it's not the same thing as being together but yes. teletherapy and zoom technology and all that has saved a lot of people as well because it has put them in contact kept them in contact with people in a way that we wouldn't have envisaged before and i think mm-hmm. that's really important to note as well i mean even the technology you and i are using right here um it's not very modern it's actually been around for a long time mm-hmm. but the use of it for for healthcare is massive i mean the potential for for saving people and getting them engaged is massive you know i have this idea of people up and down the country who are living with parkinson's um they, they kind of they're probably a more senior couple i'd say living on their own because family have moved off and all that kind of stuff and they kind of get up every morning they have their breakfast they go out buy the paper go to mass maybe come back home and then like it 12 or 1 o'clock to sit down for the rest of the day and they've nobody to talk to. And I think this is where technology can step in and we should give them all a device, kind of a, an iPad or a laptop or something that can connect them just like you and I are connected now. Mm-hmm. And it would transform their lives because they'd be talking, which is so important, to be listening, to be engaged with the person on the screen. And that would be really, really wonderful. And if it did nothing else, it would keep their voice strong because they know they'd have to, you know, keep keep talking and keep loud so i think that's something that we really have to investigate and put something towards it because it would transform the kind of bad scenario that we have facing us into something that we could manage much better well said gary well said and i suppose as brain awareness week falls in march um and looking ahead to april of course which is parkinson's awareness month is there anything this year that you would like to highlight for those working with Parkinson's, maybe those who haven't really heard much about Parkinson's and this is one of the first things they've listened to. Is there anything you'd like to highlight? Yeah, I must highlight the lack of uh, nursing specialists that we ha- we don't have. You know, we have really, we, we're at the bare bones of, of um, a service and it's so, so frustrating and so upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the service we get is d- delivered by top drawer professionals doing an absolutely brilliant job, but there are seven of them in the whole country, right? And in the north, the, the, the number is anything between, I think, 15 and 22 or something like that. So, like, we're chronically on the back foot dealing with this chronic condition. And I know it means more money and resources and all that kind of stuff, but look, at if we, if we don't do something now, 
uh, we'll, be, we'll be totally overwhelmed and swamped in 10 or 15 years time, given the rate of diagnosis of Parkinson's at the moment. Mm -hmm. So the other thing I'd say is we need to look at that diagnosis process and we need to step in there and say to the consultant, hold on a minute before you rush into the room to tell the person, I found out what's wrong with you. You know, um, you've got to realize that you're going to turn that person's life upside down. And that person is going to have that feeling with them for the rest of their life. They may not remember exactly what you say to them, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And that will really point them in the direction of where they're going to go. Are they going to go down the route that Gary Boyle did and stick their head in the sand for five or six years? Mm -hmm. Or are they going to say, this is awful, but they're going to have people around them saying, yes, it is awful, but come with me on this journey and we can, we can make changes. We're not going to cure you, no way, but we're going to make changes and help you with the difficult things in your life. Mm -hmm. And really, truly, I just love to wrap my arms around everybody who's diagnosed and say, I'm so sorry for you, but look, this can, we can do this, you know, mm -hmm. we can really do this. And we've proven we can do it because it has happened. And if, if I'm doing nothing else, I'm telling the truth about what, what has happened with me. I mean, I'm probably in, well, it's not much to go on about, but I'm probably in the best shape um, I've ever been in you know mm -hmm. uh, even though I'm kind of getting on a bit now but I mean I just I feel better when I kind of exercise and I feel better when I talk and people can hear me and um, you know they're really important they're really really important yeah. so don't give up hope just because you hear the dreaded four words you have Parkinson's disease we need to catch people at that point mm -hmm. and and save them from falling into despair which is totally understandable Mm -hmm. But we can we can definitely change that. And speech and language therapy has such a critical role to play in that. Hey, Gary, look, that's that's a great point to finish up on. And thank you from all of us at IASLT and the listeners for taking the time today to share your journey and the incredible experiences that you've had in particular with speech and language therapy. So thank you. Thanks a million, Claire. Really delighted to, to speak with you. And uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Great, definitely. Thanks, Gary.